Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast, conversations for transformation. Every wife is equal to her husband, even though there is a call on her life to submit to him. Now, these are not opposing truths but a biblically common-sense perspective on every marriage. You see, hierarchy and equality do not compete with each other, but they actually expand the possibilities for how a couple can meet their extraordinary potential, releasing the wife to practically come alongside her husband in a disciple-making capacity so that he can be the best possible leader in their union. Hello, everybody. This is Rick Thomas, and we are doing Life Over Coffee. We bring hope and help to you and others by creating conversations that spark transformation. And I hope this conversation will spark a lot of transformation in marriages. This is one of the most common requests that we have, marriage uh, advice, marriage counseling Uh, some content to help couples to get along more effectively. And so in this one, I I want to lay out for you some practical thoughts on leading your husband. I am writing specifically to wives, and I trust that it will encourage and embolden them to humbly step up to their responsibility to lead or to disciple their husbands, and that is a leadership role because she is co-equal with him. And I trust that the husbands will appropriate the grace of God to their lives so that they can create that environment of grace that is conducive to hear what their wives have to say because they are in the best position of all people in the world to bring care to their husbands because they know more about them than anyone else. And so if you want to read what I'm about to share or watch it or listen to it, then what you're looking for is practical thoughts on leading your husband and go to lifeovercoffee.com. Now let me get into this by sharing a story with our favorite fictional characters, Biff and Mabel. Mabel and Biff have a challenging relationship. They've been married for 11 years, and what began with all the hope in the world has slowly degenerated into daily tussles. And though they are part of a local church, Biff is not engaged. It's more of a social context for him. And Mabel has pleaded with Biff to pursue God, but thus far it has been to no avail. And as you might imagine, their children are responding to his indifference and also his anger. And of course, they respond in various ways. Two of the children are internalizing the disappointment that they feel from their dad. Some children will internalize and you'll not even see what is going wrong inside of them. The disorderedness that grows inside of them, you will not see that until, let's say, the teenage years because of the internalization. But then the other two kids, they are acting out overtly, and again, it's according to their personalities. And so some children, you will see it immediately in their little lives. But either way, when the husband and wife are not emulating Christ and the church, as the Bible lays out for us, it will have a generational effect on the children, and it is affecting Biff and Mabel's four kids. Mabel has tried to speak about this, but she typically botches it up, and the ensuing arguments have just discouraged her. She also does not want to overstep her bounds, which puts her in a quandary about moving forward. 
And she listened to my podcast on how to lead your husband, and she asked if I would write more on how to do that practically. So, so what we have here is actually a tandem of articles, a tandem of podcasts or videos. And so the first one that I did just recently, a few days ago, is how to lead your husband. And it was really foundational because I wanted to communicate a worldview hopefully encouraging wives to know that they have a responsibility to step into a leadership role in their marriages while submitting to uh, their husbands. And so I wrote that piece, and then Mabel wrote in. She read it. She was encouraged, but she's asking, well, okay, the foundation is laid. The worldview is set. How do I do this practically? And so I am glad to do that for Mabel. But before I get into it, I'm going to give you 10 practical things to consider in this one, in this um, article here called Practical Thoughts on Leading Your Husband. But first, it's crucial to consider the differences between subordination in roles and equality in persons. And so I want to trek back through that because for some reason, this has gotten messed up within our Christian community. I'm not sure how. It doesn't matter at this juncture how. But what does matter is that we understand that there's not this antithetical competition here between hierarchy and equality. We see this idea when we think about Jesus in the Trinity. Jesus as a human on earth. You see, Jesus served both functions as 100% God. He was co-equal with the Father, not subordinated to the Father in any way. And as a 100% Man, Jesus was subordinated to the Father. He was 100% man and God on earth. We call this the the hypostatic union, 100% God, 100% man. He is no less than the Father or the Spirit. But then on the other hand, as a man, he serves in a different capacity than the Father and Spirit. The husband and wife relationship has an echo of this idea. Though both partners are fully equal before God, like their ontology, they serve different roles, their functions as a married couple. As humans made in the image of God, there is a co-equality. And then if they are born again, there is a spiritual equality as opposed to light and darkness. Now, by the way, you need to take this in. Even though that there is an equality made in the image of God, there are two kinds of image bearers. Those who walk in the light and those who reject the light, they prefer darkness over light. Now, that will make a difference within the marriage as well. And so you can be co-equal in the marriage as image bearers, but yet be in a spiritual disorderedness because one is walking in the light and the other is pursuing darkness. The husband and wife construct is not the only place where we see this idea of equality and hierarchy. An employee is equal to his employer while submitted to his employer. A child is equal with the parents while submitted to the parents. By the way, we also make the argument about the dignity of the unborn child. 
this unborn child in the womb. The baby is the same as a postborn human because God created the preborn child in his image. And so there is equality within the within the womb, and that would be why we are pro-life. There is nothing that changes with the child, preborn, postborn, as far as their humanity, as far as as far as being an image maker. Our world cannot function well without hierarchy, but those structures do not mean that those who serve the authorities within those structures are lesser humans than those authorities. And so it's essential to know because some Christians teach there is no equality between wife and husband, which is mind-boggling as well as ludicrous. And that dogma has no biblical basis. The husband and the wife are equal human beings made in the image of God. And when the wife stepped into a submissive role at the, on her wedding day, she did not leave her imago day at the altar. It's not a diminishing of something when she got married, but the addition of submission within the union. They are the same before God and with each other. Now, this subordination dynamic means that the wife can help, even lead in some areas, her husband to be a better person. Now, I do want to add a caveat here that I use the illustration of Christ as 100% God and 100% man, but only loosely because any God and God-man examples, they are unique. There is nothing else like that, and there's no good analogy, and that's where we do want to be careful. There has to be a carefulness when making applications like this, and I'm very much aware of that. A wife is 100% person, and she has many roles. She's a mother. She's a sister. She's a daughter. She's a wife. She's an employee. Christ is God, but he set that aside to become a man, hardly something that we can do. Thus, the analogy is not the best, and that's my carefulness, and that's my caveat to you. The better analogy is comparing human-to-human relationships like the employer and the employee, or the parent and, and the child. The point here is that you must know how your subordinate role to your husband does not relieve you of the obligation to appropriate God's grace into your life so that you can use your unique God-giftedness to serve your husband and to serve your marriage according to your Christian leadership gifting. One of the most significant challenges for you will be to guard your heart as you think about your husband while trying to serve him in his sanctification, assuming that he is a Christian, that he is walking in the light. If he's not walking in the light, the things that I'm going to share with you will apply, but it will apply under the footnote that says he might not be a believer. And so one of the things that I would appeal to you to do is to have an honest friend speaking into your life about how you think about and how you talk about your husband. 
You will not be above sinning against him, especially if he is acting like Biff, as I have described. It will be a daily struggle for you if he does not change. And so you need a female friend, preferably at your church, willing to wound you if necessary to help you. I'm talking about Proverbs chapter 27, verse uh, number 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And so I want to share with you 10 practical things that will guide you in leading your husband while submitting to him. And let's begin with the most obvious one, and that is prayer. But the way that I'm going to talk about it might not be that obvious to most folks. And so here's, let's start with this. How often do you pray for Biff? You must pray for him. But you must also say specific things to the Lord about Biff. Sometimes a wife will ask God to change her husband, and that is the extent of her prayers. And so when I say that you pray for your husband, it needs to be in addition to, dear God, change him. Think about how Paul thought about the people that he wanted to see transformed. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 4, Paul thanked God for the Corinthians. That is one way that he prayed for these mean-spirited, unloving people. Now, maybe that is hard for you to do right now. And if that is hard for you to do, then you have your first leadership opportunity. I'm talking about how to lead your husband. Well, here is a leadership opportunity. Number one, pray for your husband. Specifically, ask God to give you a grateful heart for your marriage. Go back to what Paul said. He thanked God for the Corinthians in one form. Mordecai said this to Esther in 4.14, Who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Providential sovereign God guides us to our relationships. He is writing a narrative, and that narrative is always more than we could ask or think. And so there is a possibility here that God has positioned you to come alongside a caught person, as Paul would talk about in Galatians 6.1. And so you have a substantial redemptive opportunity. Paul had one with the mean unloving Corinthians. And so before you ask God to change your husband, again, an appropriate prayer, maybe it would be better to ask God to change you. If you do not fine-tune your heart before the Lord, then leading Biff toward change is going to be exponentially hard. If you are not a grace-filled, grace-giving, asking the Father to make your husband something that you are not, well, that would be a gospel contradiction. And so the first thing that you want to do, number one, is to pray for your husband, but with the specificity that I have outlined for you. Leadership opportunity number two is encouragement. General, genuine encouragement is born out of a pure heart. Moving forward with honest, authentic help will be hard if your heart struggles with Biff. That's why you want to ask God to give you a broken heart for him, a heart of compassion that does not negate courage or confrontation. 
but you must have a love for this man. Christ genuinely loved you while you were a sinner. Paul loved the Corinthians too. You can't skip this point. If your heart is not fine-tuned to God this way, you will not be able to get in tune with Biff. Some wives have asked me at this juncture, why should I try to be an encouragement to my husband? Well, the answer is straightforward. Motivating your husband by grace is the primary method that God uses to change a person. If you want him to change, there is only one way, authentic, genuine motivation by grace. Paul said it this way in 2.4 of Romans do you presume, do you take for granted the riches of his kindness, the riches of his forbearance, the riches of his patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? The word repentance in this verse means change, transformation. Do you want your husband to change? Well, of course you do. Then how are you motivating him toward change? Are you encouraging him? It cannot be negativity, anger, condemnation, shame, guilt, or other forms of frustration. That will not motivate him toward change. That is not, God, that is not how God motivated us toward change. While we were sinners, God loved us. If your husband is more aware of your displeasure with him... Well, then that is another area where you must lead by changing first. And so lead by praying for your husband in a specific way. And then lead by motivating, encouraging your husband toward transformation. And then the third of my ten is lead by modeling, by emulating Jesus Christ. And so another good assessment question is this. And I want you to go about modeling this way. Think about it this way. What kind of husband do you want Biff to be? Now think about this for just a moment. Pause the tape. What kind of husband do you want Biff to be? What if I listed a few things that you may want Biff to be? Maybe this, these are some of the things on your list. And you can add to this as well. You want him to pray more. Uh, you want him to to enjoy and to encourage and to help you. You want him to lead. You want him to be spiritual. You want him to confess his sins and to ask for forgiveness. You want him to be humble and teachable. You want him to be more engaged with the church, more engaged with the church people, more engaged with the children. You want him to be kind to the children and to be kind to you. There is absolutely nothing wrong with all of those things. And I trust that you would put them on your list, that this is what you want Biff to be, to become. And then I want you to add things to that list as well, because all of them are great, all of them are doable, all of them are biblical. biblical. However, there is an essential first step with desires like these. How are you modeling them? How are you emulating them? How are you imitating Christ? The very things that I've listed here are things that Christ would do, the things that Christ has done for us. And so how are you modeling what you're asking him to be? If your husband lacks these good things, then what you want to do is to present yourself as an authentic example of being these good things in your home. 
Do not discount what a gospel-honoring, gospel-motivated, Christ-centered example can do for someone, in this case, your Biff. And so you show Biff what Christ looks like through your humble imitation of Christ. Don't be that hypocritical person who demands Christ-likeness without providing a Christ-like example for them to follow. You know, that is, that's the parent that says, do as I say and not as I do. We don't want to do that with our spouses either. And so how do you lead him with your prayer life? Point number one. How are you encouraging him, motivating him by grace, point number two? And then number three, how are you leading him by your example? These all fit within the construct of leading your husband while humbly submitted to him. Now, let's say that you are actively praying for your husband and also praying that God would give you a heart for this man. And you are encouraging him daily, but not withholding corrective care, of course. And you are modeling the standard that you want him to be. Whatever those things are on your list are the very things that you are emulating before him. Now, I am sure that you're not doing these things perfectly because none of us do. But you do them most of the time. And if these things are happening, then you're in the best place to gently correct him. You see, Paul was doing all of those things. He was praying for the Corinthians. He was encouraging the Corinthians. He was emulating what Christ is. Follow me as I follow Christ. As he said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, which positioned him to bring corrective care to them and so praying, encouraging, and modeling. Now, with those three in mind, let's take a look at seven more practical considerations. Again, I titled this Practical Thoughts on Leading Your Husband. Number four, pick your spots. The best times to make loving appeals are always non-fight times. Don't try to correct your husband when you're arguing with him. The angry person is a fool, as Proverbs would say, and you don't want to act like a fool, and you don't want to try to correct him. So pick your spots. Leverage the good times as you try to restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself so you too don't, don't send your brains out. The best approach is to do this. Pick your spots in quiet times. You do this by asking questions. Question asking is nearly always better than statement making. Statements can come across as accusations while question asking acknowledges that you don't know everything about the situation. A healthy dose of self-suspicion is wise and humble during potential conflict times. And so number four, point number four, pick your spots. Number five, Think before you speak. James said it this way. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Let the wise words of James take control of your thoughts. Think before you speak. If you do not do this, then you will compound your trouble. James also said that the anger of, let's say, I'm going to insert here, the anger of a wife does not produce the righteousness of God. That's in 120. And so number five, make sure that you think before you speak. Now, number six, ask for forgiveness. If you blow it, which you will, guess what? You can repent. 
Your husband may be too stubborn to forgive you, a sad reality in too many marriages, but his actions should not stop you from doing what is right. You do what you know to do, whether he does it or not. You can forgive your husband, at least in your heart. I mean, even if he doesn't participate with active repentance... You remember Jesus asked the Father to forgive the folks at the cross? He was not transacting forgiveness because they were not asking for forgiveness. But still, you can see, you can hear the heart of the Savior, the attitude of the Savior in that dark moment on that cross. You can follow his example, motivating you to have a forgiving, minimally, to have a forgiving heart attitude toward Biff. Number seven, honor him before others. Never speak angrily or unkindly about your husband to others, especially your children. And when you sin against him by what you say, repent to all the people that you dishonored before him. If you sin against Biff and that sin splashes on others because, let's say, they were in the room when you did it, then ask them to forgive you for your anger toward Biff. If you gossip about him, if you slander him before others, go to them and clean that up because they need to see that it's not okay. Point number seven, honor him before others. Number eight, submit to him. Submit to him as much as possible. Let him see the humble Savior in you. Now, as long as he's not asking you to sin, you should be able to submit to him. Submission does not mean that you can't confront or you can't correct him. I mean, some folks have a distorted view of love as though it has no teeth whatsoever. If someone is sinning and you do nothing about it when you could have and should have, then that is is not love. And then number nine, make him a priority. God makes you a priority. You do not deserve his attention or love, but he gives them to you anyway. The Father loved you into submission. Let this gospel truth govern your heart as you model it before your family. And then finally, number 10, hope in God. Hope in God. Ask the Father to fill your mind with hope daily. And I'm not necessarily talking about the hope that your husband will change. Biff may never repent. Biff may never change. There are some thorns in the flesh that never go away, and God explains why that has to be so in 2 Corinthians 12. And so I don't want to create a false hope here, but our hope is in God, that God will do good. And it is not, I will have hope as long as he does this for me. It can't be a conditional hope. No, just hope in God for who he is, and he will take care of me. He will providentially guide me, even if I do not get all of my prayers answered the way that I have asked them. I am talking about an eternal confidence that will enable you to endure. This hope is born in the crucible of prayer. Paul understood that the hope he found in God would buoy him through some of his most challenging seasons, which is how he framed it to the Corinthians. He said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. Quote, 
This slight momentary affliction is preparing us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the unseen things. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Practical thoughts on leading your husband. I've given you 10 of those thoughts, and this is a, a tandem article with the, the other one. The other one is t- uh, titled, How a Wife Can Lead Her Husband, and you can find both of those at lifeovercoffee.com. I want to wrap up with a call to action, and I have 10 questions uh, that are connected here, and they're somewhat tied to the 10 practical points that I gave you. And so if you find this article at lifeovercoffee.com, Practical Thoughts on Leading Your Husband, you can copy and paste the call to action here. You can also go to the bottom of all of our articles. There is a print feature, and you can print it off in a PDF uh, if you want, and you can then you can just write on it and, and do what you need to do as far as note-taking. You can make multiple copies and share it with a small group, or maybe someone that you're doing life over coffee with, that you're helping. You're discipling someone uh, who is struggling. You're discipling Mabel. Then you can use this article and the uh, companion article with it and print it off if you wish, and that would be great. All right, so here are 10 questions. The first one is pray. What needs to change about you so that you can thank God for this opportunity that you have in your marriage? Number two, encourage. What specific and practical ways are you an encourager to your husband? So think about the evidence of grace that is already effective and operative in your life. Just encourage yourself by talking about how you are doing that to Biff already. Number three, model, uh, emulate, imitate. Would you read 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7, the love chapter? And would you replace every every place where you see the word love, or if it's implied, though not written in the text, would you put your name right there? Mabel is kind. Mabel is patient. Mabel is not rude. And just put your name there, and then ask yourself, there's about 15, I think, how do you need to change as it applies to how you relate to Biff? Number four, restore. Are you a gentle restorer of your husband? What specific ways would support your answer? Number five, quiet. How does self-control characterize the use of your tongue as it relates to your husband? Number six, forgive. Would you describe your attitude of forgiveness toward your husband? Because you may not be transacting forgiveness because he's being foolish. He's too stubborn to to transact forgiveness. So I'm talking about your attitude of forgiveness as Jesus had on the cross. Father, forgive them. You hear his attitude, the pity that he had for these people who are blind and stubborn and self-willed. Describe your attitude of forgiveness towards your husband. Number seven, honor. Describe how you honor him before others. Number eight, submit. What specific ways are you challenged to submit to him? This would be a good conversation to have with your female friend. Number nine, prioritize. Does your husband get all of you when you're together? 
Now, this is a great question for all of us. Uh, because we, most of us have a friend that we bring along to all of our relationships, and that friend is called mobile phone. And we bring him, or we're preoccupied with other things. The most common thing in today's culture is uh, a, mo a mobile device. But when you're with your husband, does he get all of you when you are together? Prioritize, number nine. And then finally, number ten, hope. How is God enabling you with his hope, not conditional hope based on Bill responding according to your hope-filled expectations, but just hope in God and God alone, regardless of how it works out as we move in this journey. Practical thoughts on leading your husband. You can find the article, the podcast, and the video all in the same place at lifeovercoffee.com. Print it off, share it with a friend, share the podcast, share the video, and that would be great. For those of you who find that this is a wonderful season to, re to receive some discipleship training, I would encourage you to check out our Mastermind program. It is 100% all online. You do not have to travel. It is self-paced, and so you can work it into the life that you have going on right now. For those of you who would like to do smaller training courses, I recommend No More Fear. It is our course on overcoming the fear of man, being managed by the opinions of other people. It's a much smaller course, doesn't take as much time, but again, it's all online as well. And so you can do it in your coffee shop, you can do it at home. I would encourage you to check out the smaller courses also. Please go to lifeovercoffee.com. And then finally, if you can help us to keep our resources free, and you have the ability to do so, would you be so kind to make a one-time donation or would you be an ongoing supporter of this ministry? Thank you so much and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Learn more and get access to other resources at lifeovercoffee.com.